Well, hello, everybody. Um, I do have that passage open in front of you, John chapter 11. And before we start, let's, let's pray. We pray, Father, that you will bless this time together, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, I pray, that we may know you and continue to worship you as we listen and try to understand the amazing truths and the wonderful hope we have in Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, in 1937, 19-year-old Frenchman, Angelo Hayes, went for a motorcycle ride. Due to driving too fast, he lost control and ended up crashing the bike, slamming his head against a brick wall. When help arrived, he was found disfigured from the impact and he had no pulse. Hayes was pronounced dead at the crash site, then buried a few days later. Due to an investigation for an insurance company, Hayes' body was exhumed two days after the funeral. He was quite surprised to find that his body was still warm. Apparently, in the aftermath of the accident, his body put itself into a deep coma and required very little oxygen to upkeep his organs. After being buried alive, Hayes received proper medical care and went on to make a full recovery. Fascinating stuff, isn't it? Uh, on a survey I looked up, being buried alive ranked pretty high on the list of most horrible ways to die. But fortunately, in this day and age, things have thankfully moved on. We no need to worry about such things. The days of inferior medical equipment in determining whether someone is 100% dead has thankfully passed. We've progressed in our medical knowledge. There is no need to panic. But back in the Victorian era, this idea of being buried before time was such a concern that on many graves there would be a bell attached to a cord that then dropped through a hole in a coffin where the presumed deceased could pull to alert anyone within earshot that he or she was still alive. And there were occasions where the bell was actually rung. Uh, I said this morning, I don't, I don't know what's more alarming, being buried by mistake or being that poor person walking through the graveyard and <laughs> hearing the bell ring. But uh, as we look at these incidences of people returning from the grave, we do need to take note that those unfortunate people who were buried were never actually dead to begin with. They were pronounced dead and buried by mistake due to medical error and lack of medical knowledge. This wasn't the case, though, with Lazarus. Lazarus was 100% dead. There was no mistake about it. There was no way possible to bring him back from the dead. There needed to be a miracle for that to happen. And Jesus here, who comes onto the scene, is the only one who can make that happen. He is the one who can raise the dead, as we shall see. Now, at this point in John's Gospel, Jesus has proclaimed who he is that he has been sent to save a people who belong to God, that he really is God's son. He's performed many miracles, and if that wasn't enough, Jesus again here in chapter 11 is really going to hit home and reinforce the reality of himself, showing again who he really is, this time by raising the dead. He's going to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. And so let's look at three headings this morning from this passage. Three very simple things I want us to look at from John chapter 11. And the three things are this. Jesus knows, Jesus goes, and Jesus shows. That's where we're heading this morning. Jesus knows all about Lazarus. He knows that he won't stay dead. And then we'll look at Jesus goes. He goes to raise Lazarus from the dead. But before he does this, he goes to comfort grieving sisters. 
And finally, Jesus shows, shows that he's fully human and yet fully God as he shows his true identity, his glory by raising Lazarus from the dead. We'll be looking a little deeper into these points as well as other things that are relevant to this passage. And the thing especially I would like us to see as we go through this passage is love. Jesus' love. Look at verse 3 with me. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. There's no doubt Jesus loved this man Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. No doubt Jesus would have stayed with them at their ho- in their home many, many times. He had a real heart for this family. And I'm sure we could all think of family and friends in our own life that we have that kind of affection for. People we really love and care for. And throughout Jesus' life, as we read through the Gospels, we see how Jesus loved and cared for others. It's no great surprise to us, is it, that Jesus loves, because that's who he is, isn't it? Jesus is love. But here we especially see Jesus' personal affection. This family was very dear to Jesus, and this deep love didn't go unnoticed. Look at verse 36 of chapter 11. Seeing how moved Jesus was by Lazarus' death, they said, See how he loved him. Many of the followers of Jesus, along with many onlookers, could see how upset Jesus was as he stood at the grave of his dear friend, Lazarus. And so we know in this deep love for this family. Let's look a little uh, deeper and let's look at our first heading, Jesus knows. And the first thing we notice here at the beginning is that Jesus knows this illness will not kill him, but it is for God's glory. So let's look again at chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Set the scene here. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have fled to a place called Bathbara. That's on the other side of the Jordan. That's about 20 miles away from Bethany, where Lazarus and his sister lived. Jesus had gone there after escaping the Pharisees and religious leaders and his Jewish opponents. And it's here Jesus receives the news that his good friend Lazarus is sick. Jesus knows that this sickness is serious, but ultimately he will not die from it. The first thing Jesus says, uh, look with me uh, at verse 4, he says, This sickness will not end in death. Lazarus is going to live. Now, we don't know what was wrong with this man. We don't know what kind of illness he had. We don't know why. um, We we don't know what kind of illness he had, but we do know why he. was ill and why he had to die for a brief period. Look at verse 4 again, because it continues saying, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Lazarus's illness and brief death happened so people may see and know who Jesus really is. That he will be, will be glorified through this event. He's going to show that he is the most important reality in this situation, as he is the most important reality in all situations. Let me ask you this morning, is he the most important reality in your life? 
when you're ill, when you're worried, when you're anxious, when you're lonely, do you trust that he is the one who is ultimately satisfying, ultimately trustworthy, that he is the one who knows all things and works through all things for his glory, that he can carry us through all these hardships. It's so easy, isn't it, uh, in hard times to forget the reality of who Jesus is and the reality of a sovereign God who's in control of everything. We need to remind ourselves that the same God who is seated on the throne at this event of Lazarus is the same God who is still on the throne today and that his hand is on our lives, that through suffering like losing someone we love, we can look to him and trust in Jesus who God has sent and it's through Jesus we have confidence because he has overcome all things and because of this, he always is enough for us. He's the greatest need in our lives and in the lives of Mary and Martha. This is what Jesus wants the sisters to see along with his disciples. He is God and his majesty and his power and authority will be shown to them through this event. They need to trust in him and trust in what he can do because he works for the good of those who love him. His ways are better than ours. He knows what's going on in our lives. His ways are perfect. His ways are perfect, and so is his timing, as we see next. Look at verses 5 to 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. This may seem a little bit odd. This may look like his timing isn't good at all. I mean, if it was my brother, because I haven't got a brother, if it was one of my sisters, I would want Jesus to come straight away to heal them. It's strange why he waited. This may not seem like love to you. This is not how the world interprets love. Why did he have to wait? Last year when my grandma got seriously ill, I, I didn't say to Sarah, let's jump in the car next week. Let's go next week to see her. Hopefully she'll still be all right. Um, hopefully uh, she'll still be alive. We could, um, hopefully she'll be better. We, we didn't do that. No, we, we heard she was ill. Uh, we jumped in the car straight away after hearing she was ill straight after a Sunday morning service here at Walton. And we went up to Kayla and we managed to spend a few hours with her before she sadly passed away. But Jesus didn't do this with Lazarus. Instead, he waited two more days. I mean, he could have healed him. Like he's healed so many people previously in his ministry. It's strange that he waited. Well, the reality is Jesus did love Mary and Martha. This explains why he had to hold off. This explains why he had to wait. He waited because through doing this, his glory would be made known to them and the disciples. You see, to show his glory, Lazarus would not need to be sick, but he would ha actually need to be dead. His identity is going to be seen by raising this dead man. Now, you might think Jesus raising the dead isn't something that's new, especially to the, to the disciples. You see, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all recall the event where Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. If you remember, Jairus, who was one of the synagogue leaders, pleaded with Jesus to come and heal his daughter. But she died before he could get there. So Jesus took her by the hand and he brought her back to life. But in this incident, I wonder if the disciples and the followers and the general onlookers who were present at that miracle generally thought she was actually dead. You see, because of the timing, Jesus came to her very soon after she died. Most likely, she still would be warm. Most likely, she still would have some colouring in her cheeks. 
It's very likely the disciples may have thought she was just unconscious. They possibly thought uh, Jesus had just brought her, brought, brought her around from a deep a coma. I wonder if they actually thought she was really dead. And so Jesus, here in chapter 11, is going to show them that not only can he heal the sick, but he could also bring back the dead. Lazarus was going to die and stay dead for a lot longer than a few hours. We're talking days, as an old Monty Python sketch goes. If he, he was any more dead, he'd be pushing up the daisies. He was very much dead. But in order for the disciples to see this miracle take place, Jesus will need to take them to Bethany, which means taking them back through Jerusalem, where they were wanted people. If they were caught, they could be arrested they could be captured, they could, or even worse, they could be killed. This was obviously a concern for the disciples, but Jesus is aware of this, as we see next, that Jesus knows the concerns of the disciples. Look at verses 7 to 9. And then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to kill you, and you're going back? The disciples knew following Jesus came at a cost, and that's true even today. Following Jesus is dangerous. In some places in the world, it may even cost you your life. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, it speaks of this saying, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. See, Jesus doesn't offer us an easy ride. Sometimes it's going to be hard. There is at the moment in the world between 200 and 250 million persecuted Christians and a further 400 million living under serious restrictions of religious liberty. The late John Stott said, suffering for his namesake is the badge of his majesty and his disciples. This can be the result of living for the truth. It comes at a cost. This was the obvious concern for the disciples. Of course, they had reservations. Of course, they didn't want to go back. But the concerns that the disciples had wasn't shared by Jesus. He knew going back wouldn't result in his capture. He knew this wouldn't be the end of him or his disciples. His time had not yet come. His life was under God's control. Jesus actually addresses the concerns of the disciples, doesn't he, in verse 9, saying... Are there not 12 hours in the daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. This may look like a strange reply to give to the disciples, who were obviously very worried and very anxious. But in reality, the reply Jesus gives here is one of comfort and it's one of assurance. He's basically saying you can't control the daylight. You can't shorten it. You can't lengthen it. It is what it is, and it's fixed by God. It's the same with your enemies. They are under God's control. They cannot lengthen Jesus' life, nor can they shorten it. Jesus is saying nothing will happen outside of God's plan. This is a wonderful truth, isn't it? Whatever we face, our God is in control. Whatever our worries we have, whatever illnesses we have, whatever we face, we have a God who is sovereign. There's nothing outside of his care. Nothing escapes him. This is the truth of the matter, a truth and a lesson that the disciples need to understand. 
They need to trust in him as they face returning back through Jerusalem. Now, originally the disciples thought they were going back with Jesus to see Jesus' sick friend. It wasn't until verse 14 they discovered that Lazarus wasn't sick, but had actually died. Read, read with me at verse 14. So then he, that's Jesus, told them plainly, Lazarus was dead. He tells them he's died, but he also tells them in the next verse why he died and why, for their own sake, he didn't go sooner and heal him from this sickness. Look again, verse 15. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Jesus will not only show his glory through this event, but also knew this miracle of raising Lazarus was going to address their lack of faith and deepen their understanding of who he really is. And so Jesus and his disciples, they go to Bethany, which brings me on to my next point. Jesus knows, and next we see that Jesus goes. Jesus goes, but before he goes to heal Lazarus, we see that he first comforts Mary and Martha. So he goes first to comfort grieving sisters. Look at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Now at this point, all hope of Lazarus coming back around or being healed or saved had all gone. He was well and truly dead. In fact, with extreme desert heat, he would not only be dead, but he'd be very, very smelly. He would stink, in fact. As the New King James Bible puts it, he stinketh. He stinketh. I don't know if you have ever had a picnic uh, down a country lane and all of a sudden you smell something very unpleasant and you find it's not one of your egg sandwiches, but it is in fact a dead animal or bird that's been run over or knocked and killed on the road by a car and it's been lying there for a few days in the height of summer. It's not a very pleasant smell, is it? But that's the best way, I guess, to describe dead and stinketh. So I don't want to put anybody off their dinner. Now, uh, Martha, Lazarus' sister, knows this. Obviously, she thinks it's too late for her brother. If only Jesus had hurried, then he would have healed her brother's sickness, like he's healed so many people so many times before. And more often than not, these people as healed were just strangers. They weren't close family friends like Lazarus, Mary and Martha. In fact, we see... Um, her frustration with Jesus in verse 21, don't we? Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she's basically saying, where have you been, Jesus? Where have you been? Where were you when I needed you? Do you ever feel like that yourself? Do you find yourself ever saying those words, especially in times of mourning, in times of desperation, where are you, Jesus? It's a question I'm sure many of us have asked. And it's okay to ask this question. Martha herself wants an answer to this question. But the truth is what Martha needs to see is that Jesus is there right in this situation. Jesus knows her feelings. He feels her pain. He knows what a horrible situation this is for her. 
But unlike Martha, Jesus knows what the outcome will be. And this is a time for Martha not to doubt, but to trust. And this is a lesson for ourselves also. We need to understand that Jesus has always been right there in every situation we face. And because of this, with Jesus, there is always hope. This is what we need to understand. We need to turn to him, especially in times of hardships. Turn to the one who is unwavering, who knows the outcome of all things, who guarantees comfort and peace. God is working his purposes out, so we trust not on ourselves, not on our government, not on the world, but on him. We can rest in his assuring love. We can have confidence because of Jesus, not to say, what if the worst thing happens, but even if the worst thing happens, he's right there with us to give all our worries to him because he cares for us. Martha needed to trust in this truth and to trust not just who he is but what he can do especially in this situation with her brother she wasn't seeing the bigger picture but despite this there's still deep in her heart an awareness that Jesus is the only one really she can turn to at this time that that she knows that that Jesus has a deep relationship with the God of the universe Verse 22, Martha says to Jesus, deep with grief, she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Although she does have some faith, although she does have some little faith, she doesn't know what this little faith will lead to. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, knew all about situations like Martha that seemed impossible. Paul here is a great example to us all on who we should turn to and where our hope lies when he says in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Paul here, on the brink of paying the ultimate price for his faith, relied on God, not just to comfort him, but he also trusted that his God, who is sovereign over all things, is the one that could ultimately do anything, that God can do the impossible and deliver him out of any situation. Paul had tremendous faith and a certain hope in what God can do. And this is the hope that Jesus wants Martha to see. And so he tells her, we can see it in verse 23, your brother will rise. <clears throat> Death will not be the ultimate outcome for Lazarus. He will come back to life because it's going to be for God's glory and Jesus will be glorified through it. But Martha, still not fully understanding what Jesus means, answers Jesus in verse 24, saying, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, Martha thinks Jesus is referring to the scriptures, particularly the book of Daniel, where it, where it says that multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. But of course, Jesus isn't talking or even referring to the last days. Jesus is drawing Martha to the understanding and the reality of who he is, his true identity. And so Jesus, in the next breath, has to near enough spell it out to her. Jesus says, look with me at verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
Jesus is saying, look to me, Martha. I am the one who can raise the dead. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Trust in what I can do. I have the power to raise the dead. I have the power to give life. Nothing is impossible for me. At the end of verse 26, Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And it's a question I'm sure that the writer John wants us to ask ourselves. Do you believe this? Do you truly understand who Jesus really is? That there is life through Jesus Christ. Well, I think in the case of Martha, I think the penny drops when she answers him in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. It's now Martha recognises that Jesus is all that he says he is, that he's greater than death. He is the resurrection and the life, that there is life through the Son of God. I pray that we too will show that same understanding as Martha. So we've seen how Jesus comforts Martha, that he does this with truth. Next, we see Jesus comforts Mary, but he does this differently. He does it with tears. Comforts Martha with truth, but Mary with tears. As we see this clearer in my last point, Jesus knows, Jesus goes. Finally, Jesus shows. And the first thing I want us to see is Jesus shows his humanity. Jesus shows his humanity. Jesus indeed is fully God. Throughout John's gospel, it's clear who he is. It's evident here in the chapter of Lazarus. Jesus, in fact, said, didn't he, that Lazarus will not die, but he will be raised from the dead. He's certainly confirming here his divine nature. He is fully God. And yet while he's fully God, he's also profoundly man. He's fully human. And we see Jesus shows his human side here with Martha's sister Mary. Like Martha, Mary too asked Jesus in verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But unlike Jesus' response to Martha, he responds to Mary very differently. His response is to mourn with her. He shares her grief. And with this deep grief, this deep sadness comes the shortest, yet one of the most staggering verses in the whole of the Bible, and I'm sure we all know it. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus is God, and yet very much a man, in that he too felt our pain. He knew heartbreak. He knew what temptation was. He knew loneliness. He knew rejections. He experienced the same things that we do. We cannot complain that Jesus doesn't know what we are going through. Jesus can relate to our experiences and our emotions, whatever we may feel. We need to understand that he has experienced them firsthand also. He knows what troubles we face in this human life because he was fully human. And in order to die on a cross for sinners, that's who he became. And yet, unlike us, he was perfect. He did no wrong. This is amazing truth. He was willing to come down from heaven into this world to be born as a man. Jesus knows what it is to live as a man on this earth. And so we've seen him as fully man. Next, we see him as fully God. We've seen next that Jesus shows his glory by raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, just imagine the scene. Jesus, Mary, Martha, and the disciples, along with many sad mourners, approach Lazarus' tomb. Remember, he's been dead now for four days. Suddenly, Jesus stops, only a few feet away from the entrance. 
Now you can imagine the shock on the faces of all the onlookers when he says in verse 39, take the stone away. In other words, Jesus is saying, open up the grave. I mean, as well as the bad smell, the very thought of disturbing a burial ground, certainly in Jewish culture, was unheard of. It's something that you don't do. But Jesus, aware of this, knowing all their mixed emotions, aware of their heavy hearts, but at the same time, knowing they lack faith, he reminds them again to trust in him. Verse 40, look down with me. It says, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He tells them to believe. Again, the writer here, I'm sure, wants to echo those words to his readers today. We need to believe. We need to trust and have faith in the one who can do anything. In this instance, he raised the dead. It says in verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. But I said this for all the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus shows here who he really is. He is the resurrection and the life. Imagine what that looked like. The closest thing uh, I've ever seen something coming back from the dead is when myself, along with my work colleague, Gareth, fished a half-drowned uh, sheep out of the river one day um, and it wasn't breathed so Gareth gave it mouth to mouth resuscitation and uh, it, it looked a bit odd especially for the hikers that were walking past at the same time uh, but it came round and uh, it was all right but Gareth didn't give life to the sheep it, it was still very much alive Jesus shows his authority here over death doesn't he and the power given to him by his father who he prayed to by raising Lazarus. Everyone who was there did see Jesus' glory. Jesus himself, we read a little later on, also died. We read in John chapter 19 that he was killed on a cross in place of sinners like you and me. But because of who he is, he didn't stay dead, but he rose again three days later and was in fact seen by over 500 people. And because of this, we can trust in Jesus as a living hope. Jesus is the only one who has defeated death eternally. There is no one else who can make that claim. By believing in Jesus, we go from death to life. Our hope is secured. He is the only one who can make this possible. Peter, in Acts 3, calls Jesus the author of life. Life that is everlasting. It starts with Jesus. He has overcome death and he is alive today. And if we know this reality, this joyful hope, then whatever we face in this life, good or bad, we can rest in the fact that our eternity in heaven is secured. Our debt has been paid before by Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Now, we don't see people physically raised from the dead today, but we do see people spiritually raised as Jesus is still in the business of giving new life and everlasting life to all who are dead in sin. This is the good news, isn't it? This is the gospel. 
And this is why we are thankful to him. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we may know you for ourselves, that we may believe in the one you've sent, who paid the price for all our sins, who died so that we might live. We thank you, Jesus, that you were obedient to death, even death on a cruel cross. And we, we rejoice that you rose again. And you're alive today. Help us to seek you this morning. As our living hope, we pray.